You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Waddle ahead of that little man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, Waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is a football Friday as we welcome in Lindsey Polaris from San Francisco and the perspective from the Niners. We'll play the sound bites of the week from the assistant coaching staff and answer your mailbag questions via the Twitter mailbag from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Please join me in welcoming in my guest today from 49ers.com, Lindsey Polaris. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is the team reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. You can find her work on 49ers.com, Lindsay Polaris. Lindsay, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast here from the other coast. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, jumping in from the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's different. Uh, like the injury reports are later in the day. Uh, we, you know, any content from teams from the West Coast, it's, you kind of have to work around the schedule. So I really appreciate you doing that for us here. And we always start these uh, my Friday perspective from the opposition podcast by talking about the quarterback position. And the 49ers quarterback right now is, in my opinion, playing some of the best ball of his career. And I could ask you a million questions here, but I think what I want to know the most about is the galvanizing effect of Jimmy Garoppolo. How has he kind of come in here this year in a year where he wasn't supposed to start the season and kind of sparked the offense since his return to the lineup? Yeah, you know, I think Jimmy had an unconventional preseason and training camp situation, but, you know, he spent five seasons with the organization prior to 2020, and I don't know if it's a galvanizing moment. I think he stepped up when he was needed as part of a team effort, and he's so highly regarded around the organization and so familiar with the playbook and Kyle Shanahan and most of the offensive weapons that I think it was very easy for him to jump in in that moment of need for the team. Um, And yeah, like you said, he's been playing really, really high level football. You've seen just what the 49ers have been able to do in their last four games. Really they're, they're on a roll right now as, as is Miami. So I I know that Sunday is going to be a highly competitive game. We can't wait for it. It's going to be so much fun. Like uh, these big games that it's been a while for us since we've had big games like this down the stretch. And so we're really looking forward to it. And of course, all the familiarity on both sides of the ball. I had a chance to ask our defensive coordinator today, Josh Boyer about Jimmy Garoppolo because they both were with uh, the Patriots at the same time. So there's so much carryover, so much crossover. And, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, that backfield, I know the Niners are dealing with some injuries in that backfield. My question here, Lindsay, is sort of two-pronged. Number one, how has Christian McCaffrey, the the actual newcomer this year, uh, changed the offense? And then if he can't go, who's the next man up beyond him and Elijah Mitchell? So Christian McCaffrey truly is the do-it-all back. He has come in and just plugged himself in immediately. I think you saw exactly what he's capable of in week eight with that 
historic game against the Rams where he had a passing, receiving, and rushing touchdown. Uh, I think he's just very much falls in line with the rest of the team in terms of we've got a lot of offensive weapons, but a lot of selfless players, right? Everybody is willing to take the touches, the carries, um, you know, when when needed and, you know, let ready to let the hot hand also take <laughs> um, take hold of whatever game is happening. I think with Christian McCaffrey, um, you know, he's suffering a knee irritation. He is day to day at this point. Um, Elijah Mitchell also suffering from that MCL sprain, which likely will be six to eight weeks on the sidelines for him. Beyond that, I think we've got we've got some good backups. J.P. Mason, who is a rookie undrafted free agent, played the last roughly five minutes of the Saints game and had five carries for 25 yards. Head coach Kyle Shanahan feeling very confident with him. Then we've got a rookie draft pick in Ty Davis Price. And then you also look to the practice squad where you've got Tevin Coleman, who had a big game in week five against Carolina and had two touchdowns. So definitely lots of options in the backfield in case whatever situation plays out with the injuries. Yeah, we've seen Tevin Coleman have success with Kyle in Atlanta and San Francisco. And it seems like every year that the running back room there just has the next man up mentality and they have five or six guys that can go. And you also mentioned the rest of the skill group. I mean, we, we know about the stars. It's it's a loaded cast. Uh, Debo, Samuel, George Kittle really get the headlines. But I was curious to see that Brandon Ayuk actually has the most targets this year. And I'm a Pac-12 guy originally from Washington State. And so I'm kind of, I kind Kind of gravitate towards the, you know the Arizona State uh, factor of that, but uh, just how has Brandon Ayuk put his stamp on this offense this year? Yeah, Brandon Ayuk one hundred percent has been the most consistent pass catcher this year, and I'm also a Pac-12 <laughs> grad, so I love to see Pac-12 Pac-12 guys succeed. <laughs> um, so yeah, he has just been absolutely wonderful for this offense. I think prior to that Saints game, which was a defensive battle, he had over 80 yards receiving in the last four games. I think he's got now, uh, I believe he had in that span also five touchdowns. So just absolutely been great for this offense. And I think he really set himself up for success in the off season. You know, we heard as soon as training camp, just how wonderfully he was doing really came in with the mentality of making that big year two to year three jump. And, you know, we're seeing, the results of his hard work in the off season, uh, definitely a lot of a lot of chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo, um, and he's also you know just ready to contribute whenever needed. Such a, a good satellite, a good complimentary part there to Debo Samuel in that passing offense. On the other side of the ball, I wanted to ask you about the two standouts, you know Nick Bosa and Fred Warner, because every time you plug on a Niners game. Gosh, those guys are making plays all over the place. <laughs> we know they're superstars, but like, just how good are they? What do they do on a, on a daily basis to you that really stands out? And I guess how have teams or how have they changed the way teams have to account for their presence? Because again, like I say, you watch the tape; like those guys make plays so often. How do you how do you account for that? Yeah, I mean, I think you can talk about highlight real worthy plays with either of them at any moment in any game. Um, you picked a good day to talk about Nick Bosa. Uh, <laughs> the NFL announced he was the NFC Defensive Player of the Month for November. Not a huge surprise there. He has 11 and a half, 11 and a half sacks on the year. 
Uh, just an absolute uh, issue for opposing quarterbacks. Uh, I think he's third on the sacks leaderboard. Um, I think, you know, as much as they are able to make plays for Warner and Bosa, it is very much about just their mentality of posting defensive shutouts whenever possible. Again, very much like the offensive weapons. It's a team effort. And those guys, you can just see how they are coaching up younger players during practice. They're just that mentality they bring to the field, I think is the X factor in it. And I mean, you saw Warner last game as well, kind of set the tone for the defense. He uh, forced a fumble on the Saints opening drive. And I think after that, everybody just fell in line. They were not going to let the Saints get a point on the board. So I think it very much is the leadership mentality of both of them. But obviously, you see the accompanying stats that come with it. Yeah, definitely a big part of it. You talk about the continuity there. I mean, they go from Robert Sala a couple of years ago to Tobiko Ryans. And yeah, I feel like all my questions kind of go back to this theme. But I want to talk about Coach Ryans because year two here of the D.C., he's catching tons of buzz as a potential future head coach candidate right now. We know he was an all-pro player. But what makes D'Amico Ryan such a star as a coach as well? You know, we get this question a lot and (laughs) we're not so much thinking about the future for D'Amico because (laughs) the team loves having him so much. But yes, he is having a stellar year in his second season as defensive coordinator. Um, I think very much in the same way that the players are all about the team D'Amico Ryans is all about the players. Um, And we've heard in several press conferences where he says he just listens really to what the players uh, see as their strengths and what they're seeing on the field. And obviously just does a tremendous job game planning for opposing offenses. Um, And obviously a critical part in this uh, four game streak that the 49ers have of not allowing a second half point. I know uh, Kyle Shanahan is very happy to have him as his defensive coordinator and so, so highly regarded in this organization. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that because obviously the former player in him, he, he probably knows what he preferred as a player and he was an all pro. So I guess it kind of translates over that way. Lindsay, I finish all these preview interviews with this question. The 49ers, well, not the 49ers every week, but this week it is the 49ers. The 49ers will win the game if, and then you fill in the blank. The 49ers will win the game if the defense continues to show up like it has the past four weeks. <laughs> yeah, hard to argue with that, right? If you don't allow points, it's hard, it's hard to lose a game if you're not allowing any points. So, yeah, exactly. Good. That second half has been really, really tough for a lot of teams. So we're, we're definitely hoping to see that streak continue and, uh, well, if it all works out, maybe no points allowed in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, a good offense coming your way, so it should be a fun matchup for everybody involved. She is Lindsay Polaris, 49ers.com, on Twitter, at Lindsay Laris, just the ha- last half of the last name there. Clever, I like that. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Travis. And away she goes. That was Lindsay Polaris from 49ers.com, the team reporter there for the San Francisco 49ers in her first year. And she talked a little bit to me off the air about uh, the podcast network there. They're going to start expanding with the 49ers. So good stuff there all around. Check out her work on Twitter, on the .com as well. And of course, podcasts coming soon. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back on the other side with assistant coach media, the sound bites of the week. I have clips from Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, Austin Clark, and Daryl Bevel. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by auto nation. 
What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Friday on week number 13. Where does it go? Where does it go every single year as the Dolphins are heading out west for a two-game swing here before heading to Buffalo? And then it's a home game, road game, home game, and that's it. Just six games left on the schedule, man. It goes by faster every single year. Let's go ahead and pick it up here with Josh Boyer, who spoke to the media on Thursday. Two questions here, completely different topics, so I apologize because there's no segue in and out of one of these topics. We're going to start with Jimmy Garoppolo. And a great story when I asked Coach about Jimmy G from his time back at the Patriots together with Jimmy G. And he gave us this great story about his first preseason game after a couple of rough practices, and now he balled out right away. Here's Coach Boyer on Jimmy Garoppolo's growth, development, and where he is at this stage of his long NFL career. So I can kind of remember that. Uh, so that would have been 2014, I believe. And uh, he was uh, – we, we opened up with Washington – in the preseason and uh, we traveled there we practiced against them that week and um, you know obviously I was on the defensive side uh, but we had some back and forth you know where their offense versus our defense or you know our offense versus their defense so obviously you know you can build a little bit of team camaraderie there you know obviously cheering for your team going against another team and uh, I know Jimmy had a rough two days in practice and then uh, we went out to I, I believe that was his first preseason game. And, I mean, he lit it up like he was a gamer. And, um, you know, he was always a good, he was always a good teammate. Um, you know, uh, he, was, he was very young and eager and willing to learn when he was there. Um, it, I, you know, I'm not surprised by, you know, anything that Jimmy does, uh, you know, in a positive light. Uh, so he definitely is, uh, you know, he's a worker. He, he's got, you know. He can make all the throws. He definitely can. And um, that's the thing that I remember because you're like, oh, you know, hey, you know, what was going on these first two days? And then we got in that preseason game. But, I mean, he, he really – he played well. He really did. And you're like, okay, he's a gamer. And then, you know, then I, I think obviously for everybody, whether it's a coach, player, you know, when you first get in, you there's a lot of things for you to learn and do. And, you know, you can't buy experience. I'm sure everybody would love – I mean, if you guys go back and probably look at your first story or go probably look at it now going, oh, man, that wasn't great, you know, but like or maybe it was. I don't know. But like, you know, but like, you know, when you know, when you're coaching and you're playing, it's the same thing. But I do remember about like extremely competitive and there was a lot for him. That was his rookie year. There was a lot for him to learn. He was learning a whole new offense, you know, and, you know, play calls, getting guys lined up and stuff, audibles, checks, you know, and he had a guy in front of him that had done it for, you know, 
almost 20 years. So, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me, the things that he does in this league. And, um, you know, we'll have our hands full this week for sure. So this week, it's my cause, my cleats. And Coach was asked about something very near and dear to him. Of course, the verdict of the Parkland shooter was reached very recently, and Coach is from Parkland. So he went ahead and told us about his experience with that and why he's going to wear, or I suppose his cause is about the Parkland shooting tragedy. Let's just go ahead and throw it over here to Coach Boyer talking about that. There's a follow-up with the response as well. Just going to keep it all in there for you guys. Here's Coach Boyer talking about the Parkland tragedy. I I live in the Parkland community. Um, and I would say really the thing that, um, and obviously, um, uh, my cause, my cleats is something that I would say, you know, I really haven't probably participated. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I don't, I, if you guys ever see me on game day, I pretty much wear the same thing all the time. So whether it's, you know, crucial catch or, you know, salute to service, I mean, there's a lot of things that I would say my wife and I support. Um, this one really struck me, and what struck me probably the most was, um, I would just say, um, the trial and the verdict and um, the disappointment for me personally, and then the beauty, I would say the beauty of the human spirit and the families of the victims the way they were able to compose themselves, handle themselves, and articulate their feelings, their wants, their desires. I thought it was a beautiful thing for the human spirit. I really did. So, you know, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, I talked to Vera about it, and obviously, um, you know, uh, my wife and I, we were, um, you know, we're, we're going to support their cause. Uh, obviously, my father is an educator. My mother-in-law is an educator. My sister-in-law is an educator. I obviously have nieces that go to school. Uh, I think our children should be safe at school. Um, but I, I would say more than anything, the families of the victims and their just human spirit and to handle what they've had to handle and articulate the way that they have to feel and do it in such a beautiful manner. To me, it's encouraging for the human race. It really is. So that's kind of what made me. And, and you know, uh, Joe, I know you live in the community. I do, too. It's a, very, it's, a very, it's a great place to live. It really is. And there's a lot of good people there. And I think uh, the victims or the families of the victims are some of the most beautiful people on the planet because, like I said, to me it was really inspiring. It was the lowest of low to see the verdict and the highest of high to see the human spirit. So, and again, I'm not a political guy or, you know, I'm not getting into any of that stuff. Um, um, but, like I said, to me that, that was all inspiring. It really was. Being in Parkland, have you... Have you met any of the families along the way? Uh, I would say not directly affected. Obviously, I've met families with kids that were in the school. And um, uh, some of the things that, you know, and 
you know, there, there's more victims out there too. There are kids that were in the school that have since committed suicide. So, um, you know, it's a very tragic thing for that community. But the the, the fact that that they've banded together to try to make things safer for other communities, I think is all inspiring. And like, you know, and I made it a point to watch and listen to every single press conference of family members speak after the verdict. And to me, it was all inspiring uh, because there was a lot of well thought, articulated very well of how they felt and what they felt should be done. So to me, it was just, you know, again, we're all different. Everybody's different. And, you know, you always look for the best in people. I think I saw the best in people at probably their worst time. So to me, that was pretty, pretty cool. My favorite thing about humans is the ability to be vulnerable and to be human. And that was just such a cool moment there from Coach Boyer. And uh, obviously we talked about this coaching staff with Mike McDaniel, you know, in being that way and allowing people to be themselves. Uh, really cool to hear him talk about that. Obviously not a great topic that, to have to discuss. And uh, like we said, a complete tragedy. But uh, Coach Boyer, you know, supporting his, his community. And, yeah, that was tough to hear. But also I think we had to hear it because really, really important stuff there. Let's do the impossible now and transition back to football and talk to Dol- uh, Dolphins offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who was asked about the idea of playing without Teron Armstead, the games that he wasn't available, and the communication that he provides for the offensive line. Here's Coach talking about Teron Armstead and his impact on the entire offensive line. Um, with him being out and then obviously different guys being in, I mean, obviously there's the communication and working uh, that stuff, you know, in the heat of a game of you're adjusting to what happens. I mean, overall, I just think it's uh, – when you're talking about protection, it's never as easy and as simple as just one guy. It's normally there's uh, parts of communication. Uh, one guy sets this thing one way, and then now you get another guy, and then you're just making sure you're working together because, I mean, pass protection is always the more challenging thing is five guys work together. So in the middle of a game when you're, uh, you know – in walkthroughs or practices, whatever you're doing, that you're getting the work. It's just making sure the two of you are in that component together. So, I mean, the good thing is is that Teron Armstead, I mean, obviously we know what we get when he's in there. Right? The challenge is when he's not is just making sure that we work on those communication aspects. We work on the techniques that the two of them working together, and that's something we've been trying to emphasize this week and making sure that uh, the different components of guys are working together through techniques appropriately. An awesome answer here on a follow-up question about the communication aspect of Teron Armstead. Here's Coach talking about what makes him stand out in that regard. The thing he has is just playing the position for so long. He has instincts and experience, so he can really see areas and he can assess things probably. I mean, sometimes you just see a situation before it occurs, and I think he has that football instinct where he's able to see and recognize, okay, this guy's about to move. And he can see it before it happens. He can make the call, so they're playing with great anticipation. So, and then when you play with another guy, you can get to that, he's making a call and you're executing, all right, uh, very quickly. So then, and now as, you know, we're working through, you know, different variables, it's just getting in that same communication page, showing those situations uh, where it's like right here, all right, you're teaching a little bit where like a guy like Teron just has that natural instinct from years of experience. We keep it rolling here with Dolphins offensive coordinator, Frank Smith, who was asked about Jeff Wilson's approach and mindset 
This is a great answer talking about what makes Jeff Wilson so special. Yeah, just a true pro. I mean, he's got an attacking mentality. I mean, just completely locked in, dialed in, and everything he's doing, whether it's a meeting or practice. I mean, he's just got that, you know, that like just as you go through your career, you just feel those guys, that intensity of every moment. Like it's not, uh, it's a meeting today on a Wednesday or a Thursday. It's, all right, what can I get to help me? execute at a high level to the level of my standard and then that's just really and just a positive you know mentality just a really great teammate I mean that's just overall you can just sense it like you know guys like that whose attitudes are contagious and then just I mean what a blessing he's been to have here and how physical he plays and I just think that the physicality and intensity which you see on the field is how he approaches every day of his life. Let's finish up here with Coach Smith with a question about D'Amico Ryan's and the scheme, the challenges that his defensive scheme presents the Dolphins offense. Yeah, I think that his scheme is obviously challenging. They're assisting uh, guys who've played together for several years. All right, they uh, obviously know what they're doing. They communicate well. They know where uh, they're vulnerable, and uh, they have an attacking front. Uh, they play extremely aggressive. Um, so the challenge is, is that, man, then you go on the road as to making sure that uh, one, we're all moving together in a snap count. Two, we're communicating together inside of the noise. And three, um, you know, making sure that we're attacking the game plan and the matchups and the areas we want to go and making sure that we adjust as, uh, as the game presents itself. But, yeah, they do a great job with their system. You can see he's done a hell of a job as a... Uh, uh, taken over uh, the last two years and um, overall their coaching staff. You can tell it's a well-coached team and uh, it'll be a good challenge for us, especially in December. Let's pick it back up here on the defensive side of the football with Dolphins defensive line coach Austin Clark, who was asked about Raekwon Davis's progress in season so far. Here's coach Clark on Raekwon Davis. Yeah, I think I think Ray's doing good. You know, I think week to week the roles can can differentiate for him. And, you know, he was he was dinged up a little bit early in the year, obviously. Uh, and I think he's come on strong, and it's helped us in the run. You know, sometimes statistically his impact, you may not see it, you know, in terms of number of tackles or whatever you guys are looking at. But um, I would say that, that he's definitely getting better, and this will be a big challenge for us this week, you know, against a really good front. Coach was asked about Jalen Phillips and his ability to condense inside and rush from those inside positions against offensive guards. Here's Coach Clark on why he's able to do that and so good at doing just that. Yeah, I think uh, for him, it's understanding that the spacing when he's outside versus inside. Um, and he's a great athlete, you know, uh, great hands, uh, good get off. You know, he, he can stress a guy's edge. He can run the games and his comfortability in the, in the scheme. Um, he's a very, very smart player to be able to do all the things we ask him to do. Um, and he did a great job Sunday and, uh, you know, looking forward to this week for him. Plain and simple, ask coach, what makes Trent Williams? such a great player on San Francisco's offensive line? Yeah, a lot of different things. Uh, I would say uh, his his feet, for someone his size, is, is very, very impressive, as well as being able to play with low pad level and generate movement on guys. Uh, strong, strong. His hands are very strong. Um, kind of a cerebral player. He do, does some stuff on the backside of plays that, that a lot of guys can't do, you know, wiping their hands down and, uh, he's got a lot of the hip grabs, vet moves, you know. Um, and I think he understands the system that they do, and he does it at a very high level. So it'll be a big challenge for us. Had to finish up here with Christian Wilkins, or I should say Coach Clark, talking about Christian Wilkins. Let's go ahead and roll the audio. Uh, you know, Christian Wilkins is a total pro. 
Uh, I love working with the guy. I think the way he approaches his preparation uh, is the best of anybody I've ever been around. Um, and I think that it's football and succeeding in this game is very important to him. And he likes to have fun doing it. You know, he definitely uh, – I know you guys see the lighter side, but, uh, you know, there's a side to him on the practice field too, to, to, to want to get it right, to not repeat errors. Uh, he's been very disruptive. Um, and most importantly, it's his motor. You know, running to the football and his teammates, seeing the way he runs to the football, that's important to him. Uh, and I think that's that's a trait in him that he's always had. You know, that's a credit to him. And he's gotten better each game, and hopefully he can get better like he has each week on Sunday. Let's go ahead and finish up back on the offensive side of the ball and quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel. I asked him, you know, Coach McDaniel said that two is a savant. What does he mean by that? Well, he is. I mean, there's <clears throat> there's just things that, um, like I was talking about, just some of the innate ability that, that Tua has. Um, all quarterbacks have, you know, have different skill sets. And one of, one of uh, Tua's you know, best skill set is, is his ability to see and his, his field of vision. His field of vision is, is pretty large. And the players that he can see and diagnose their movements in really quick, short periods of time, I think is something that, um, you know, that you would relate that savantism or whatever that is to um, because he does it so well, so fast. Um, and it's, it's, it's really impressive what he does. All right, there you go. Great stuff from the Dolphins assistant coaching staff. We have those entire media availabilities up on the team YouTube channel, including Eric Studisville and Danny Crossman. I had to dip out to get my podcast taped with uh, Lindsay during the back part of that. So I wasn't in it for there. I wasn't in there for it, but you can check it out on the team YouTube channel. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and answer your Twitter mailbag questions. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Friday, which means you know we have to get to the Twitter mailbag. We have three questions here on the podcast. We'll do three more on the MiamiDolphins.com webpage. You can read those. Uh, They should post sometime on Friday. Not exactly sure when it'll go up, but you can find more questions there if you do not hear your question answered here on the podcast. We start with at Shornick. Coach and players are always wearing hoodies during media availability. Is it really always that cold in the building? Well, if you're from South Florida, you know that every building typically cranks their AC to the max because, yeah, it's usually pretty hot down here. Now, this time of year, it's getting a little bit better in terms of outside not being, you know, walking into an oven every time you step out of the front door of your house or out of the front door of a, a store or your workplace. 
But yeah, it's, it's pretty cold, especially in the media portion, um, the media wing of the building, because there's all these servers and different things. And I'm not going to use the language here because I don't know what I'm talking about, but things that need to be kept at a certain temperature. So it's a little bit chillier back here, especially in that press conference room. I, I know it's warmer where the rest of the media hangs out, but as far as the podcast studio and our living room set studio and where we all hang out as far as the photogs, videographers, producers, and myself, Yes, it's very, very cold in here. I'm always wearing uh, long pants and, and sweat, uh, hooded sweatshirts and usually long sleeve shirts as well. Next question from at DNR3131MY. That is a lot of letters and numbers. Travis, do you think that Miami will use its passing game to neutralize the 49ers pass rush? The Niners play 80% zone defensively. Hey, you listen to the podcast. Uh, will Miami shorten their passes, sit in, in zone areas, and be patient enough to take what is given and methodically go down the field? I think, yeah, absolutely. They're not, they've done that really all year long, you know, going back to the preseason, just taking what's there. I remember, like, Tua got, you know, some heat uh, from the national media for that game against the, was it the Raiders? The Eagles? I forget which one it was for not being aggressive enough going down the field and getting to his checkdowns, and we saw the whole thing about him faking going through his progressions or whatever that idea was that was out there. Um, but I think that's kind of how this offense is built to, to function, to attack the vulnerabilities of the opposing defense. So if they have their vulnerabilities, Miami's going to go after them. You did hear Frank Smith talk about the Niners' defense and saying that they know what their, where the vulnerabilities are on their defense and how to kind of protect against those things. So I think absolutely, yeah, you'd be foolish to not attack where a defense is potentially vulnerable if that is, in fact, where they are vulnerable. Last one here from at Dub v finfan in the spirit of this week's game do you think so many people are focusing on the subpar level of miami's of the teams miami has beat but not on the subpar level of teams san francisco has beaten and lost to uh yeah a little bit Uh, i mean i think the dolphins are covered differently than most teams around the league right now because of the quarterback for whatever reason I, i don't understand why it's that way but it seems to have been that way now pretty much since he got here um so i think that's part of it I think people inherently are less inclined to believe in the Dolphins for whatever reason. Maybe the history the last few years of you know not having the postseason success and all that stuff goes into it. Whereas the Niners have had those deep playoff runs and gone to a Super Bowl and you know that storied franchise kind of coming back to life the last you know five or six years. So I think a little bit, but also like I don't know, man. Every game is tough. You're not going to come out of an NFL game and be like, "That was such a walk in the park. That was so easy." It just doesn't happen because all these guys are pros too. Like even the Texans game, Jalen Petrie. You mean you think that hit on Tyreek Hill? You think that he doesn't belong in the NFL? You think that um, you know Damian Pierce didn't have much going on in that game? But you think he's not you know a player that you have to contend with? Laramie Tunzel. I mean, it's just it's it's foolish to go into a game thinking like we can just basically show up and, and win the game. So I think that from the standpoint of who teams have beaten and lost to. It's fun for the media and, you know, fans to talk about, but as far as how, you know, players and coaches and stuff feel like that, every game matters the same. So I don't think it's uh, so much of an insular thing in terms of the building, but more of an exterior thing with people talking about it, you know, outside the building and, and, and media and that type of landscape. So there you go. There's the Twitter mailbag. We, again, the MiamiDolphins.com written piece is up on the website sometime on Friday afternoon. Not sure exactly when, but you can check that out. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Going to have a bit of a shorter schedule coming up here. Uh, My son will be here next week. 
uh, probably by the next podcast. It'll be the last one I have before he arrives, so the podcast schedule could change a little bit. I'll have more for you guys on that here shortly. But in the meantime, give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Pod with Seth and Juice, our Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, our postgame show on WQAM 560, and, of course, all the international podcasts here on the network. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, media availabilities, drive time, and fish tank content. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. For the second to last time, Caroline, before Cam gets here, Daddy's coming home.